friends. Welcome to the Make Food Your Business podcast. I am Allie Montagnan of Hope in Maine. And I'm Caitlin Mandel of Hope in Maine. And we are here to introduce you to New Englanders who are pioneering a new food landscape. And today's episode is going to be focused on why does local food cost so much? In case you haven't heard of us, Hope in Maine is a culinary business incubator program located in beautiful Warren, Rhode Island. Our mission is to empower an inclusive community of local food entrepreneurs to start and grow their thriving food businesses. And we hope that they form the foundation of a more just, sustainable, and resilient local food economy. We're located in a beautiful historic elementary school right in the center of Warren, and we rent out four commercial kitchens to over 160 active member companies. And so today we have two guests with us, uh, two very fine ladies that we have the privilege of working with here in the building. Um, and we will have them introduce themselves, but uh, Lisa Rayola is our fearless leader and founder. She is the brains behind this entire genius idea. Um, and she's going to be really helping us lead this conversation today about the cost of local food because no one knows it better, according to us. And we also have Anat Sagi of the Mosaic Table, and she is one of our member companies. So we're really excited uh, to share her story. She's still relatively new here, but she's making good things happen and serving us really delicious food. So um, Lisa, if you would like to start and introduce a little bit about what your role is here. Yeah, thanks, Allie. So I'm excited about uh, local food as our first topic because that was my inspiration for starting Hope in Maine um, more than 11 years ago when I was in search of local food that I thought was vital to my recovery from a serious illness. I found that it was really not only difficult to find, but difficult to um, to know whether uh, food really was grown locally, um, produced locally, and um, that was important to me. So I thought that was such a, a basic question that I found difficult to answer, you know, 12 or 15 years ago. And that was my inspiration for starting Hope in Maine. I was going to, in fact, start my own food business and I sort of gave up that dream to help achieve the dreams of many uh, food entrepreneurs. I decided that um, it was so worthwhile to help people to build local food companies because as you said before, you know, we believe in Hope in Maine and I believe that a strong and vibrant local food economy is really built on the shoulders of, um, of small food businesses. Uh, it's not built on the McDonald's of the world. Um, it's built on the Anats of the world. So I'm so glad that she is joining us today because she's such a perfect example of the reason that we started Hope in Maine. That was an excellent segue. Excellent, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> So Anat, please tell us, what are you doing here? Um, so my name is Anat, and I uh, am the owner of uh, the Mosaic Table. Um, I came here because I started this uh, business during the pandemic. Um, I was living on a farm, and I had um, some time on my hands, and I started cooking. I have a background of... Um, knowledge for like I was born in Israel and um there's so many wonderful foods there that you could just source locally it's you know very uh fresh and delicious flavors and also um as we moved here to the states uh, my parents kind of always kept fresh food around us um 
grew up even a little bit macrobiotic, like had that going on. So Whole Foods, when it was called Bread and Circus, was a place we went to. So sourcing things locally was always um, something that was important to me, eating fresh food. And while at times it's easier to just go to Whole Foods and say, okay, yeah, I'm eating fresh food, it's not really always sourced locally. So I kind of segued, didn't I? Yeah, but that's fine. (laughs) Well, I think we should define what we mean by local. I think for Hope and Maine standards, it could mean locally sourced, but also locally prepared. Uh, We have some amazing companies who've launched and grown their business based on a product that might come from another country. Uh, For example, we have an amazing maker uh, named Bakery, and he has a product. His company is called Casame, and he uses hibiscus flowers from Africa and turns into the most amazing, really healthy spreads. So some of his ingredients are not sourced locally, but it is producing local jobs um, and getting healthy food into our local community. So we kind of have a a broader range of local when we talk about local, and I just thought we should address that. That's great. I think that that's super important. I know as I was um, thinking about this, um, and I I did Google um, a couple of articles, and... um, yeah, people are really talking about what it with this movement of um, buying local, what that means. Like, you know, is it within a 50 mile radius? Is it 200 you know miles? Or, in our case, you know, here, um, really making things. It could be making things locally or and or sourcing it locally. Yeah, for me, it's really about creating local jobs, and as I said, you know, that contributing to the local economy, and most important, you know, developing some. Um, a sustainable model of local, um, you know, of a local food system that when I think of local, I think of the ability to feed the people in our community and sustain the people in our community. And nothing showed us more than the pandemic how challenging that is because, you know, you had food access issues during the pandemic that um, ranged everywhere from I can't, you know, I can't go to the grocery store um, or when I, because of, because of risk of exposure, and when I go to the grocery store, the shelves are stripped bare. So, you know, th- that clearly meant that we are reliant on supply chains that could easily collapse the, lo- the longer they are and the less local they are, right? And then you had the other end, you know, the issues of food insecurity and people who um, literally didn't have the means to, you know, to, to buy food uh, because they'd lost their livelihoods. And so, you know, to the extent that you can localize that that economic loop, you really are, it, it really is about supporting, you know, your community. Absolutely. And I think something else um, that hasn't come up yet that everyone's really missing is restaurants. And part of what we're so excited that Anat is doing is she's really jumping in and trying to create a solution for those people that are missing the restaurant scene. So Anat, do you want to give us a little bit of inside of what the Mosaic Table does? Sure. Um, so I am I have a background of hospitality and I love to cook. So um, something that I was missing was going out to restaurants and enjoying myself. And I was thinking about what would I want if I did this and also was just looking at what people kind of were missing. And so uh, the Mosaic Table prepares food, sources locally, um, and I prepare uh, different meals, three-course meals, working with other, collaborating with other um, 
other businesses, other small businesses, um, some of them out of Hope and Maine, some of them not, um, and bringing all of these, collaborating with them, preparing this package, this, this experience where you have a three-course meal, you have fresh-baked bread, you have butter that comes from uh, um, uh, butter cuisine, you have uh, music that comes from somebody who is a musician but doesn't have anywhere to play right now, so he's putting together a playlist. Uh, placemats that are hand-sewn by a wonderful um, costume maker who has doesn't have a job because there's no theater right now, so she's making these beautiful placemats and napkins. All of this comes together, and we and I have the opportunity to curate an experience for um, different guests and um, and to work with them and to hear what their needs are, and that kind of feeds my need to take care of people. So it's a nice um, hand washes the other. And so if someone's really missing a restaurant experience or missing going out, you're able to sort of recreate that for them by delivery. By delivery. So I don't go into their home. All of this is created here. I, I get everything together and um, and I make the meals here. I put little containers of different things with very simple instructions. Um, and then they can reheat it. It's very fresh. Um, it's meant to be eaten that day. Um, and yeah, and they take it and they and they have the ability to set up their table and be transported away for just a little bit. And that's the actual thought behind it was just to the pandemic was so um what's the word it just like encompassing encompassing that this really allowed to allowed a person to just kind of get away you're in the house all the time you can't go out you can't go to restaurants so to be able to sit at your table and to just get away for a little bit because what you're seeing around you whether it's the flowers or the rolls or the food or um or the placemats are just a little bit different makers but you're bringing those connections to the consumer in their own homes which is amazing what kind of feedback have you gotten I've gotten <laughs> it's been exciting on a lot of different fronts um, it's been exciting for me because I've always felt like I really want to um, share wonderful products with people which is what made me successful as a server or um, a manager when I worked in restaurants um, as a salesperson um, but here from the um, from the people who receive it receive these packages, I really feel like they are the, the my guests tend to be people who are supportive of our community, who really want to be a part of and experience new things. So they may have uh, Newport sea salt in there, um, different candles by you know somebody who's making local candles, and really just enjoying it and then picking it up. And what were you going to say? No, well, I, well, I'm so I'm so I just thought of a, a new. Um, tagline oh for boy. your, <laughs> which is what I do here all the time. But you know, the word that I was thinking of when you were speaking was intentional, that you've created an intentional table, which is like something that, that um, we are trying to make readily accessible to the to the conscious consumer that wants to consume locally. You have curated all of that for them in a way that they are able to be intentional about what they're putting on their table, from the flowers to the placemats to the food. And you know, so what does that do for the economy? Let's think about that for a minute. So if you're using um, Secrets in the Kitchen, the pasta sauce, which I know you've used, Karen's pasta mm -hmm. sauce, and let's say she's able to purchase the tomatoes for her pasta sauce from a farm in Rhode Island when it's, you know, when it's in season. 
Um, and then she makes that sauce here at Hope in Maine. You use that sauce in a dish that you're creating for the mosaic table. Somebody purchases one of you know your meals for their home. You know, think about that for a minute. That's a dollar that's changed hands like four times in Rhode Island versus if a farmer in Rhode Island grew those tomatoes and sold those tomatoes outside of our state. We would lose all the value of upcycling that dollar here in Rhode Island. So think of think of the jobs that's creating. Think of the um, again the resilience that that's creating in our food system. If we're able to, you know, c consume what we catch and grow, and cultivate in our state, we become more self-reliant and we are building a stronger local food economy. So that's where I go with the idea of the intentional table. And it's, that is within all of our reach if we think about it and if we're educated about it. And I think that that is a big, that was wonderful. Um, but I think that that was also, and I think that that's also a big part of what sourcing locally is all about. It is about us taking care of each other in different ways and everybody's got different strengths and everybody does different things but for me to be able to you know source this candle from this person or this or or to say okay you know uh this um i'm not going to make a marinara sauce because i think karen's is so fantastic so i'm just going to tag her in everything i promote plus that she's on my website and yeah it just grows like that and it really empowers the the local community to connect and to feed off each other and to give. And I think that that, if I can just like segue into why I love Hope in Maine so much is um, you may have three or four businesses doing similar things, but all you feel is a community and a camaraderie and you, you just promote up. You don't, you don't feel there isn't that negativity. There isn't a ceiling. There isn't a, everybody's just kind of doing their thing and feeding off the different ideas because um, I, I just, I think there is some sort of silver lining and some, some blessing. And I think that this is the reason that I, I think it's wonderful to have a place to come to that has that. Um, I feel very, very um, grateful for it. We feel grateful to have people that get it. I mean, it's it's not an easy thing to uh, to start a food business. And so I think that at least the, the community here is really that support system that a lot of solo entrepreneurs lack. So, I mean, being able to collaborate with someone like Karen, who you may have never met in real life otherwise, is really special. And I do want to point out, we had posted an Instagram a couple of days ago in anticipation of this episode. And, of course, Karen commented and one of the statements that she made just really resonated with me. And she said, remember, the smaller the business, the deeper the intimacy the owner has with their product. And I think that level of intimacy is so important when you're talking about, like, why we're doing this and how intentional, you know, your product is. I would call it a product because it's more than just a meal. But um, I just thought that was really special. And she is exactly that. And she's all about it. And she's so hands-on. And she knows every tomato. And she knows every ingredient. Yeah. She may, you know, like she is very involved um, intimately, intimately with the marinara sauce. Like, I don't know how else to put it. And um, and you taste that. And I mean, you taste it. You, 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 you do. You, yeah. And, and okay, so now why is that sauce more expensive than Prego? Okay. Or some other uh, processed um, sauce that's from a big food company. 
Does anybody want to talk about that? Anybody want to guess why? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will give you something to think about that. I will give you something to think about. So, you know, the first of all, the ingredients that comes from big food um, is are often comes from big farms, right? So, so big farms in the United States are subsidized by the government. Why does the government subsidize farming, particularly of some of our big cash crops in this country, like corn, um, wheat, and uh, soy? So those are your three big, the three big ones. Why does why would the government subsidize big farms? Because we have a country to feed, right? We have a country to I'm feed. Now, it, let's now let's think about the pandemic for a minute. Why did we see farmers plowing under crops in the pandemic? We saw that. Do you remember the big the, the photos of farmers? Why did they have to do that? They had no one to sell to. Okay, right. Those supply chains collapsed. What happens if big farms, you know, lose all their customers for more than a year? or any farm. They go under. Exactly. Why does a government subsidize the, the food industry is because we rely on farming to feed the country. So, you know, going back, you know, maybe to the 70s, so so 50 years ago, the you know, the idea that we were going to subsidize farming was so that we can ensure we can create price stability for the crops because there's good years and there's bad years. So in bad years, you can't have farmers going under because then we lose the ability to feed the country, right? So mm-hmm. it all goes back to thinking mm-hmm. about why are certain cro- certain um, farms, particularly big farms, subsidized. And by the way, little farms are not. So they don't enjoy the subsidization that big farms have. So now let's go back to our jar of pasta sauce, which I don't, I've not looked at the first ingredient um, in you know, but prego or or ragu, but I, you know, I bet you that there's high fructose corn syrup in there. So corn, and and one of those crops is surely going to be one of the top ingredients in a processed food. Why? Because you can get that that ingredient very cheaply, as the big food company. So now you think about these, you know, your ingredients that are sort of artificially, you know, subsidized at lower prices as the big food company versus if you're the little food company using you know, local produce or using something that's grown locally that doesn't have that subsidy. So right there, your ingredients are more expensive, right? Um, and when if you went to the ragu factory, what you're gonna see are giant pipes of, of stuff like flowing through you know, big vats and you may never see that sauce right. till it lands in the jar. When you watch Karen in the kitchen, when that woman's working, you know, she's chopping stuff, she's stirring stuff, and she's not using industrial equipment. So it is, it's, that's why they call it artisan, small batch. And she's paying the people in the kitchen, you know, the wage to be in there with her all day to make her sauce. So there's a real difference between a food that's subsidized from the beginning versus a food that has not enjoyed those subsidies because it's coming, you know, from smaller producers and right there you're already producing a more expensive product she does not have the benefits that you know that the big food companies have 
And I think I think when you're talking about flavor, it really has to do with there's no preservatives, there's no fillers, there's nothing that's stripped uh, in terms of, um, you know, like when you talk about wheat and you're, I mean, if you're going to go into grains and whatnot, like there's, you know, um, I know we used to use like main grains a lot. We used to go there, but now you have a place in Lynn that does it. Like there's very small, you know, that's just grains, but, um, you know, I, and just like you said, a lot of these farmers, the reason food is so expensive, or local, locally sourced food, or vet, or food from vet, fresh produce, right? Vegetables and fruits, um, is and is because uh, these farmers don't have the benefit of what big uh, farms do. Um, they just they need to buy in smaller amounts. They need to. Uh, so therefore they don't have the selection and when they're sold out they're sold out that's all there is and so it makes it i mean then it becomes you know harder for people like myself because once they're out they're out i can i can want and i can promise you all brussels sprouts but if i can't get them i can't get them you know and uh and so you you see that reflection and and then they're also the soil and the amount that they're putting into, you know, if you're growing things locally here, it's not the same climate as California. So what you're bringing in, what you're, you know, what you need to be able to grow those items. Now we have like herbs, there's herbs grown in Providence in the middle of the winter, basil, amazing. I think they're called like Gotham, uh, Gotham greens, Gotham yeah. greens. We love amazing, yeah. amazing. Like I'm so excited because there's not, I mean, there's at least two trays in my, on my roller cart that have herbs on it at all times. And, and it's the best basil you've ever seen. It is seen. so delicious. The most beautiful so lettuce I've ever seen or tasted. And what is that? And it has to do with like people hands on growing something so lovingly. And that's the flavor that comes along. It's like if two people make re a recipe, the exact same recipe or three people, the exact same recipe, it's going to taste different. Each person is nurturing and giving the same to the crops or the chickens or whatever it may be that are, people are growing locally as opposed to commercially. And subsidization really, it just hides the true cost of what it really takes to pay people fairly to prepare that item the true cost of the water and tilling the land it really it just hides it um, and the farmers market pros commented on that post too and they brought up a really good point we're still paying for this because the government provides a subsidy so we're paying for that through our taxes so even though the product itself can be cheaper we're still paying for it one way or the other and um, fascinatingly enough americans love their cheap food because it get that that decision from way back in the 70s under the Nixon administration with the, with the uh, uh, farm bill, um, you know, created an, what I would call an addiction to cheap food in this country. Americans yeah. spend less than any other developed nation on their food. We spend less than 10% of our uh, incomes on our food. And in other, you know, parts of Europe and so on, you're looking at, you know, 30%, some nations it's 50% of your disposable income on your food. And the part of the reason for that is this, um, this addiction to big food. Um, we have more food production per capita in this country than any other country. And yet we have people that are hungry, right? So, you know, even before the pandemic, you were looking at food insecurity at about 15%. So it's really interesting. Why, so why it, this cheap food, okay, where's the money going 
where's the food dollar going for that? Again, I'll go back to my jar of, of, of spaghetti sauce. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, you are paying to buy that jar of spaghetti sauce because about 40 cents on the dollar is for the marketing of that spaghetti sauce. It's for the slotting fee so that it's at eye level when you go into the supermarket. You know, about 11 cents of that dollar went to the farmer. So in the food, in our industrial, military industrial, you know, food complex, the food chain, the, the majority of the dollar is in transporting that food, marketing that food, uh, selling that food. So when it's sitting on a shelf, you're paying to buy it because if the ingredients are as cheap as can be because that's the only way the, food, the, you know, the company's going to make any money. When something's sitting at a farmer's market, you've cut out all of that. And yet, you, the money that you're paying is going directly to support the farmer, yeah. to support the maker, yeah. okay, who is you know, bringing that to you in the highest quality form that you can get that food. And, I, and it makes a difference not only for the taste, but also for your health. And that was where I was, you know, 15 years ago trying to understand this and understanding, you know, what happens to my food before it gets to me in the big food food chain is, is damaging to the economy and it's damaging to my health. So I am paying a very high cost for cheap food in this country. Yeah, I have, um, I buy my greens through Roots Farm in Tiverton, and they have greens all winter long, which is an amazing miracle, and it's so tasty to be able to have fresh herbs and fresh greens. And I don't eat as much salad as I like, so <laughs> I found that their greens last for three weeks versus when I go to the, the yeah. st which I do shop at um, a lot, <laughs> more than I'd like to, but they last like a week in the fridge, and I've noticed that the fresh greens from the farm a few miles away last like three weeks. Because it's just coming directly to you. Yeah. There's not no factory, no driving, no whatever, transportation, bagging time. Yeah. People are like, how is that possible? It's like, that's exactly. But before the pandemic, people didn't really think about it as much. Like, it wasn't as common of a conversation. Um, and I think that... Also, farmers, people are connecting with their farmers a lot more and makers a lot more, so there's a lot more conversation in community. Um, and I can, I, as I was saying, I, was, I, I lived on the farm right, before, right as uh, the pandemic started, and they had, they have chickens over there, they had, um, and they have a lot of eggs, and they, they were just like, we have so many eggs, we have so many eggs. And then Easter came, and you know they sold out, and, um, and then they just continued to sell out, sell out. It was part of their CSA share the last two years. There's no guaranteed eggs this year. Like it's, wow. so it's, you know, and, but, and I think about how many people, how many more people they had come in and volunteer than they, I think, expected that they would need for, for this. Um, because, because of the amount of production that they had in general. Um, and they were working hard. And I love the, the point that you made, the pandemic, you know, really created this awakening around local food. And, you know, the, it's not the government su subsidizing local food. It's, it's the community that must support local food or it will not be here. Because we saw how fragile local food systems are to the extent that they couldn't sell into, you know, restaurant supply chains and institutional supply chains. So farmers had already, you know, 
planted for the spring, many of them, and the, and the small farmers were like, what are we going to do if we don't have customers? And lo and behold, you know, individuals came to and learned about, you know, we're, oh, you know, my, actually tomatoes are, don't grow at Stop and Shop, you know, they right. grow down the street. <laughs> and so, you know, how valuable was that? And I hope we don't lose the lessons of the pandemic as things, you know, you know, sort of slowly open up again, where we, we just learned that such an important lesson about local food. If we don't support it, 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 it won't be here. Mm -hmm. And the definition of local food is that people are not purchasing it from, you know, 3,000 miles away. It relies on the local consumer to purchase it. That's the definition of it. I think there's a lot of connections being made through the last 10 months, 11 months, that uh, I, I, which is a complete benefit here, uh, personal connections that with your maker, with your farmer, um, that I, which I think will continue to drive that farm. I think we're going back in time, kind of in the sense of like before um, people, when people used to buy things locally and like cultures were built around, you know, what is growing up. We didn't like transport food out everywhere. You were built, you know, you ate certain foods because it was what it was, was around you. I think we're kind of, we're beginning to enjoy that again. And um, as I see it reflected in my cooking and things that I. <laughs> if everybody can hear that, we're in a. <laughs> over a hundred years old and the radiators are too. And it is a very brisk New England day, so the heat's kicking on a little bit in here. <laughs> Let me make a comment about a 100-year-old building. So a, a 1950 building was built in 1915. Oh and gosh. in 1915, if I had said the word local food to you, you would have looked at me like I was nuts because there was no other kind. Like, you know, all food was local. Refrigeration was invented in 1915 by Clarence Birdseye. Bird's eye food, frozen oh, food. That is where it came from, right? So before that, you couldn't get food from thousands of miles away because you couldn't refrigerate it. So go, sort of going back to the idea of being self-reliant in more regional, localized food economies is I completely agree what we relearned during the pandemic. Yeah, and I, and I love the fact that I'm challenged by it um, in a in the sense that I need to kind of like get, I need to source everything locally and I'm, or I, you know, and that's a commitment that I made. So, you know, finding fun ways to like also cook beets, you know, different, <laughs> how many ways can you make this interesting? And I was gonna say, girl, you, you make good beets. <laughs> so it, it, it's fun because, you know, people are like, you, you could think that it's such a boring thing and oh my God, it's always with a, you know, they always put it in this, oven I don't know cook it this way and like it's on a salad with goat cheese it's like well there's different ways to do it that is definitely one way there's a lot of different ways and but that's kind of the fun of it all and it's like um I don't remember what I was going to say before gone you're gone. a hard-working entrepreneur that's got to happen sometimes you just <laughs> you're mentally exhausted okay it's been a long week well, I, I do think we need to address something. I mean, we've we've kind of explained why local food is often more expensive, and I think we've illustrated there's good reasons behind it. But, you know, what do you do when people can't afford that beautiful locally produced jar of marinara sauce? Like, what should we as a society do about that, or what is being done, or um, you know, what? What is being done, definitely. I mean, I guess this is just, uh, v again, this is 
because a community is getting built, because an awareness is coming to, um, because it's hitting home. Uh, I know, for example, there's local refrigerators that have been um, hooked up oh, to, yeah, and, and different pantry items. I know when I overmade items uh, for different events or whatever it was, I went and I donated. I know that farm farmers do just go whatever they have left over and they and they give. And that way, any it's nobody has to go and show their face and say I'm hungry. They could just stop by. They're walking, you know, um, and and they open the refrigerator and it's just filled with beautiful, beautiful items that um, are are just available, more available at least. And and I, that is not something that existed before the pandemic. Um, so it's very exciting to see that, and it's get, uh, catching on more and more. Um, I think the importance of relying on your neighbors to pro not problem solve, but to be your support system. I think that we got very insulated in our homes. We didn't even introduce ourselves to our neighbors at certain times, but now we've really become dependent on our much local network. You know, who lives in the same building as you? And if you can't get to the grocery store, could they help you? Um, or if you have extra meal and you know your downstairs neighbor might not have one, maybe you leave some soup in front of their door and don't say anything and don't make it weird. Um, but I'm, I'm from a small town. I love that kind of neighborly feel. That's part of why I love living here in Warren. Um, but I think it's changing sort of uh, in a very subtle way, but hopefully bigger in the future. I think it's just changing the culture of Americans and how we interact with each other. Yeah, I mean, something that I definitely thought about as, as we were, as I was thinking about all, as I was working uh, on this was just um, the fact that even in a city, like, there is that, even in, in Providence, for example, there's that feeling of of um, community. It, people are coming together. And, you know, where in cities, busy cities, we, people are so busy. Like, there's nothing, they're, everybody's just going. All of a sudden, there's just that feeling. You're seeing people again and again saying hello. And I agree with you. Warren has something very, very special. So I love this town. Yes. <laughs> I mean, no, it's great. No one has to move here. We're doing fine. <laughs> Rhode Island's best kept secret. Please don't ruin it. I love this community. No, it's, it's great here. And I think, um, you know, we, we've definitely started to try and problem solve, um, you know, hunger and food inequity in our community. Um, Caitlin has been amazing in really spearheading our Nourish Our Neighbors program, which has had an amazing impact. I think we've uh, distributed over 27,000 meals and counting. Um, through a community-supported meal share format. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all. or Yeah, yeah. Lisa came up with the idea of, uh, you know, we've fundraised uh, an amazing amount from the community for Nourish Our Neighbors. Um, we wrote grants, and also just individual donors have just been incredibly supportive. We were all blown away. Um, so Nourish Our Neighbors, it, it pays our local member companies to produce prepared meals that are healthy um, and nourishing and they're frozen and we give them out to um, local partners like families that are um, in the school system and the families that were experiencing um, school closures during the pandemic and also our local seniors who are homebound and we also um, provide meals to local women's resource centers um, and women and their families who are living in shelters and the community has just responded so beautifully to that. Um, and it's a really great way to get healthy nutrition um, to those people and using locally prepared meals. And I, I, I want to thank Anat for being one of our amazing makers. People are still talking about that cheesy meatloaf that you made. <laughs> In fact, I don't think I ever told you this, but we had a sort of a celebrity visitor recently and we're 
you know, thinking maybe he might want to try something. So we, we offered one of those meals to him. We had one left over. Um, <laughs> so a one Jarvis Green, who oh, is a wow. Patriot alumni, uh, wow. specifically wrote me an email to say how amazing it was. Oh, and, my gosh. Um, he really, he Thank was you. very excited. He said specifically the cheesy meatloaf was amazing. <laughs> Um, and also that the portion was great. So I think something that we've been able to do, even though it's a very low cost that you were able to magically work with, um, you know, it was still a very substantial meal that made the difference. I mean, I think a lot of the, uh, the free meals, I hate to give it that title, but, um, you know, meals that people who are trying to access food, I'm stumbling over this. The, the, the food that, not, yeah, the food they're that not. they're getting is yeah. lower quality because right. the and that shouldn't that re, that shouldn't be and I'll go back to another um, I feel like I'm getting on all these soap boxes but I I'm gonna go on one more and and I know I love the podcast I want to go on another uh, soapbox and talk about big hunger what uh, so what is primarily on the shelves at food banks a Knott's cheesy meatloaf Nuts. What's on the shelves? It's uh, beans, canned, 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 go canned goods, you processed know, foods, processed food. Artificial yeah. ingredients. Okay. So what did I say before? These, the, we actually have excess food in this country per capita. Where does it go? It goes into the hunger supply chain, okay? Um, you know, who tends to be... Um, you know the the people on the the boards of of food banks it's the people at grocery stores it's the people in you know in the in the big food uh world who have this food to donate so now the fo folks who can't afford higher quality food are getting lower quality food because and there's there's frankly a benefit to big food companies to be part of that supply chain okay think about where they're where Food stamps go, form, formerly food stamps, now SNAP. You can't buy prepared foods with those dollars. You have to buy groceries. And what are the cheapest groceries? Processed food coming from big food. Big food, big hunger. It's not a coincidence. So how do we break that chain? Well, you know, it took a ton of fundraising from the community to, to put money into the small food system so that people like you and your company could make food for folks that were hungry, high quality food. And the difference between the dollars that we gave you and say for a school lunch, a school lunch might be $3 to the maker and yours was say $7 to the maker. You know, the, the idea that we, it, you know, to me that is not that big of a leap to say that we should be able to get dollars into the small food system so that small food producers can produce higher quality food for people who need it. But frankly, we're in comp we're still in competition with big food to solve the hunger problem, which is so frustrating. But then it also changes healthcare. Just to be, just oh, to absolutely. say, I mean, I don't, I didn't want to like, no, I don't yeah. want to, you know, but Please that's, that's, there. that that's I, so there's, true. I mean, that's exactly what ends up happening is that, you know, then we're eating better, we're, eat, we're eating locally, we're eating better, we're taking care of ourselves. I mean, and then we're more motivated, people are feeling better mentally, um, so it's not just physically, and um, there's just more activity in the community, and um, so I think that I... I 
there's so much benefit to it that and it it really is just a movement it's hard to i i don't i don't know obviously like how to you know take one away from the other but to do a, a something like nourish our neighbor and get something out there and get different small businesses involved and feeding um other others is just i know for me the best feeling possible i i do it because it you know it also makes me feel great that i'm doing something small so small to like to help but um, but yeah, I think that, uh, I don't know, it's yeah. politically driven. I don't know if we go, you know, I, I, it's no, all, I mean, eating is not. a political act. It Absolutely. Is. It's a choice. That's why I use the word intentional. If you're thinking about it, when you, anytime you buy food, it's, it's like voting with your dollars. It's a choice that you make. Who, who am I supporting when I buy this versus that? You know, and and that's the awareness that we're trying to bring to people. I think we tr we try to do that at Hope of Maine because I want people to understand, you know, what is my food dollar supporting, and you know, and that can be a political choice. And I'm not talking about you know a party, but I'm talking about you know a a, a set of ideas. What do you value? And so it is a political act, and we should be thinking about it because when we're driving certain people to only have access to processed food, we are driving up cost in the healthcare system that you know we all pay for, but some people are paying for it more than others. They're paying for it with their health and with their lives. Mm -hmm. Diabetes is now, I think, one out of every three children in the United States is at risk for for diabetes and for you know and and that is directly related to diet yeah. and I, I know this could seem overwhelming to the consumer but um, Ali and I have both managed markets before and we've seen firsthand how one single purchase to one single vendor makes a huge difference in their day but also as their business grows over time and so you know it's doesn't, you don't have to buy local all the time, but just know the little bit that you do makes a huge difference. And there was a study from the University of California, Davis, that said every dollar of direct sales, so direct money you are paying as a consumer directly to the maker or farmer, generates twice as much economic activity within the region as compared to producers who are not involved in direct marketing. So, you know, one thing, one way to think about it, and this came up in the comments on our social media post about why local food so expensive, it came up from our maker companies, which was incredible, was that you are investing in people. You're investing in your community when you purchase local food. You're like investing in fair wages, and you're investing in fair health for people that live near you. And we've also seen at the market how um, well utilized the SNAP benefits are for our market, but also especially the bonus bucks program that's administered by Farm Fresh Rhode Island. People, people take, um, the way that works is you um, you use a dollar from your EBT card, your SNAP benefits, and at the farmer's market you get a dollar and that's used for fresh veggies. So basically it's like getting fresh veggies for quote unquote free, but it has a huge utilization rate among SNAP customers because, you know, when you're trying to you're trying to eat well and and you're hungry, I can I can see how a salad might not seem as help, um fulfilling as other items but when you kind of eliminate that choice um, people do choose to shop for a lot of fresh vegetables and it's really well utilized program and I think um, something else that's important for shopping at farmers markets too is learning what to do with those ingredients that you're not sure about so I mean I'm a little biased I think our market is exceptional in that way 
Um, but you know, if I'm a snap customer and I am going to try and eat healthier and shop at this market, what if I don't know what to do with a rutabaga? I've never even seen one in real life. I don't know how to turn tomatoes into tomato sauce, but by having a conversation with that farmer or having a conversation with the marinara sauce maker, all of a sudden now you're developing relationships, but you're also developing a new skill set that's going to empower you later to be better off. You can go to the grocery store and balance your groceries a little easier with, yes, I know I'm buying processed food, but I also know what to do with these fresh ingredients to make it more healthful and wholesome. And I love that the pandemic has also motivated people, well, forced people really to cook who haven't <laughs> yeah, maybe cooked before. Yeah. You know, they people cook, go, yeah. you know, grow their own food, you know, make, bake their own bread and I, I fear for all of the orphan scobies after <laughs> after the pandemic is over. What what, what will happen to them? Yeah. But you know, but it's it's great that people you know getting back in touch with cooking because that gets you back in touch with where does my food come from? Because you you have to think about it a little bit and mm-hmm. and just that you know little bit of thought for food gives you food for thought yeah. of where you know that intentionality. Where is my food coming from? Who's making it like, wow, this is a lot of work to make pasta sauce. I'm, you know, boiling the tomatoes, peeling tomatoes. And if you've only ever bought them at, at Stop and Shop, then you are, you know, you're missing out on something. You're, you're not connected to your food. And another fun fact about how we've become disconnected from our food, because we're, there's four women here, is that a lot of the, the women's movement actually, um, getting women out of the kitchen was one of the, First steps in disconnecting the at least the uh, Americans uh, from their food because that's when you saw Betty Crocker and 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 you know Je- Jello and mm-hmm. and TV dinners and now if if mom is in the workforce and mom is not at home cooking, you know we're buying processed food for convenience. So we're still you know what what was nice is that in the pandemic we had this return. And we felt less competition from processed food because it wasn't as, as available. So the, the, the skill of cooking mm-hmm. is so related to the choices that, you know, that we make in our food. Absolutely. So Anat, before we start wrapping all of this up, I just wanted to uh, remind people that you are offering a Valentine's Day extravaganza at home. This is a really beautifully curated opportunity for people. So if they're not sure what to do for Valentine's Day, how can you help them? Um, well, we are offering a beautiful, wonderful, tasty, if I do say so myself, uh, four-course meal. Um, and uh, so it is the Valentine's Day experience. If you are single and ready to mingle, whatever way you want to do it. or you've got, I love uh, that you have I, Valentine's uh, Day for one on there. It is just amazing. <laughs> it's important. It's, yeah. it's so great. <laughs> it's super important. I live by myself. I don't know. Not everybody's got somebody with them. Um, we've got flowers. We've got bubbly toast. Um, um, wonderful just again the the whole experience with the candles um, and uh, really want to invite people to enjoy and just celebrate an evening again a holiday that you would typically be out at a restaurant and I know that one there aren't that many reservations to be had because everybody's cut cut it down but also a lot of people want to stay at home and just enjoy something romantic so there's a great playlist too which is uh, uh, Justin, who puts together the playlist, put together for it. And it's, the, I saw the menu, and of course, I 
uh, just in all transparency, I will be getting one of those Valentine's <laughs> Day dinners. Uh, I wish I could say my husband bought it for me, but I, I, I bought it for us. And it, and we're going to celebrate, you know, the bounty of our local food system by, by you know, par- participating in that system because a knot's made that easy for us to do. And, you know, it's a great investment in our community. So I want to thank her for making that available to us. Welcome. It's such a pleasure. It really is such a pleasure, even um, putting together the cheese board or anything that people um, get, trying to source as local as possible um, with um, cheeses like from um, like Great Hill Blue, which comes from Marion Mass or um, Jasper Hill Farms, um, you know, just like really just keeping it as local as possible all the time. And um, so, yeah, you can order that um, on the website, which is available, um, which is the mosaic, the The mosaic, the mosaic table dot com. Um, Yes. And um, we're accepting orders. Yeah. Through Tuesday, the ninth. This upcoming Tuesday. Yes. Perfect. Okay, so, and then also, just for the sake of it, because you're a real human and you're not just an entrepreneur, <laughs> what do you cook for yourself when no one's around? Ooh, fun. Um, so, <laughs> recently I've been eating, um, I've been enjoying the food that I'm cooking for others because I don't usually just like, unless there's like a special occasion and I'm cooking for other people's special occasions. So that's so much fun. Um, so I am, I've been enjoying a lot of what's on the menu. Um, but I, the most recent thing that I made for myself that is not on the menu is, uh, this amazing vegetable, um, soup with, uh, spicy tofu and ramen, um, which I'm very much wanting to put on the menu next week. I, and I cook a lot of Israeli food. I um, I tend to, yeah, I tend to, or, yeah, Middle Eastern. And if you weren't a food entrepreneur, what would you be doing? Or what other job can you imagine yourself having in an alternate universe? <laughs> wow. I would be, I would really want to put people together. Um, I would want to bring joy to people. So I, I think about what somebody's essence is and what it is that they need. And I would bring, I don't know how, I don't know if there's even like a job like that. I'd bring another person to them to like help them be more. That's hope in Maine. That's hope in Maine, actually. That is hope in yeah. Maine. That is, I, I, I know. That's why, that's why I thrive here, I think, because it's the same language. So that would be, <laughs> that's a great question, though. I have no idea what I would be. <laughs> so, Lisa, what do you cook for yourself when no one is around? What do I cook for myself? I I hardly ever cook for myself. When I'm cooking, I'm always cooking for other people. I or, So if I'm truly alone, which is rare, I'm eating other people's food that's made here because I love it and I really couldn't ever make anything better. Um, but if I am cooking, I'm always trying to cook what somebody else loves to eat. I'm always asking, you know, my son, my daughter, my husband, whoever, even my dog, I will ask, what do you want to eat? Because that's what cooking is about love. It's taking care of other people. So it's more about what someone else wants to eat. And then I always love it. 
And you make Pele your dog his dinner as well. I do make Pele his dinner. In fact, I just made it last night. It is the most complicated thing to make, but it's made with love. So that's so important. He's a good egg. And if you weren't running a premier food business incubator, what would you be doing? What would I be doing? Um, Well, I love teaching. So um, I think that somehow I would always be teaching and and like I do now, I have so many things that I'm involved with in the community, helping to just get stuff done for other people um, on, on maybe nine boards or something like that. And I like when people give me an assignment and say, go get this done. And I really enjoy, you know, just ma- making it happen, getting it done. You do make and being, things happen. Being useful. You, just, you, are, you, are, you just make things happen. Being then- relevant. That's what it's all about. You know, leave something better than you found it. It's the best. It's the best feeling. And kind of, you know, figure out how to grow where you're planted, you know, and, and, and make it better where you, you are. You have the best sayings. I don't know. <laughs> we have a list. Have a list we amazing. have a list. Because yeah. Like, she, she just, that's not time. even the best of them yet. I know. I know. I'm like, wow. This is like. You do. You. I don't know how. I don't. This will not be Lisa's last visit with us, <laughs> or Knotts, frankly, just for the record. So, um, so just wrapping up, we just want to thank everyone for tuning in today. Um, Caitlin and I will be in touch on social media throughout uh, the next few weeks until our next episode. Um, but I do want to remind everyone: if you are hoping to shop local and you want to do it really easily, we really love working with uh, an app called What's Good. It's just all one word, and if you search for it in um, whatever app, downloadable app you use, um, you can find all sorts of Hope and Maine made products. Specifically, we are a pickup point, so you can actually have your groceries delivered here, and you can pick them up on Wednesday afternoons uh, in contactless pickup. It's super easy. So you place your orders on the app. It pays the makers independently, which is actually really nice. So the money, you know, when you buy that jar of pasta sauce, it's going right to the maker of that pasta sauce. You can also get home delivery through that app, um, but we hope that you'll come here and stop by anyways because in the summer, it'll be a part of our summer market. I have some fun facts. You have I'd like facts. to share. I'm not surprised, Caitlin. <laughs> so we started our partnership with What's Good at the beginning of pandemic. We had already been working with them, but they were incredible um, about getting our makers onboarded onto their platform right when everything else was shutting down. So our makers really took advantage of that and were able to sell their products through this system when a lot of um, events were shut down. So since uh, March 24th, our Hope and Main pickup point that's just once a week has um, generated over $56,000 for the local food economy. And our Hope and Main members that can sell all through the region, through Rhode Island mostly through the app, have made over $126,000 through What's Good. So it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. So obviously support your in-person farmer's markets too, but what's good's a really fun, a really fun option also. Yeah. So while the winter markets are maybe not so fun to shop at, what's good is a virtual farmer's market at your fingertips on your mobile phone. I, can I ask you guys a question? Of course you can. Yes. What do you, Caitlin, what do you cook when you're at home? (laughs) I cook a lot of eggs. I really love, I just love eggs on toast. Yeah. Um, I have to make you an Israeli omelet one yeah, time. I mean, I that's something that. I actually cook a lot of, too. Yeah, and yeah. I, I do. I see the difference now in buying farm-fresh local eggs that have, yeah. like, that gorgeous orangey-yellow yolk yes. versus stop, oh, excuse me, um, other grocery store <laughs> <laughs> items. But, yeah, I love eggs. Cool. My name is Caitlin, and I love eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I have an egg problem. 
Allie, what I want to know, because I heard you once say that you, you're like, if I ever, I can't leave here because you are the marketing guru. So um, what would you do if you were not doing this job? Oh, fun question. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I'm a Jane of all trades. I definitely like to dabble in a lot of things. I love being creative. Um, but I think for me, I mean, part of being, I love Hope in Maine because it's helped me find my strengths as a professional. And so I think, you know, I started uh, back in the day wanting to be a wedding planner. And I'm, I started here as our event planner. And all of a sudden, I just found that I had all of these other strengths. So I actually really lean towards um, the creative writing aspect of what I do. And I really love that. So I hope uh, maybe someday I would have my own gig kind of doing that kind of stuff, helping entrepreneurs. I find a lot of satisfaction in helping you guys and seeing like the results of real effort. Um, so I really like consulting and coaching and that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. You can feel it all around. I would also very gladly like be just a dog rescuer and have like a <laughs> giant property where I just have all the senior dogs and they can live their best lives. Oh, yeah. That would I won the lottery. <laughs> if I won the lottery, that's what I would yeah. do. If anyone wants to help me fund that, please yeah. contact me. Okay. It's just Allie at makefoodyourbusiness.org. <laughs> could talk about my puppy dreams <laughs> but that would be great so ladies thank you thank ever you, so much thank you, thank you. and thank you to tim crowley for helping us record all of this yeah. tim crowley productions everyone don't sleep on him love it thank, thank, you. You. thank you thank you thank you, thank you.